Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Uh, before I get started on today's special CSG, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, a beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, now's a good time to get down to downtown Denver because it is uh, basically the perfect weather. Fall is, early fall is like the best time to be in Denver. And go downtown, go to the dairy block. If you're vaccinated, sit outside, enjoy the weather, enjoy some wine, get some of that 2017 Cabernet, or get some of that Blake Street blend, which is like a true Colorado grape uh, blend, which is, I'm sure you'll enjoy, it's becoming one of my favorites. Um, but if you're not into that, go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself up a wine bottle, uh, or get yourself some swag, or uh, book yourself a wine a table if you're going to go down there. Or you can book yourself a virtual wine tasting, which is very, very popular, specifically in the winter. Uh, once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. Um, and you can find them on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest CSG special. This is a special interview with a good friend of mine, uh, a guy who wrote a great article here in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks that I, uh, we're going to do some heavy discussions on. But first, I just want to express my joy in seeing my good friend who I miss daily, my friend Christian Clark. Hello, Christian. Mort. What's up, man? You killed that wine read. I'm, I'm really happy that you have wine reads, too. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a good synergy. It's, it's the nexus of the old man thing or, or old woman thing. Uh, but uh, we, we've kind of just <laughs> reached that apex right there. Uh, but I balance it out by doing the DraftKings read like in the middle. So it is what it is. But uh, Christian, you are in New Orleans. And if those of you who don't remember and shame on you if you don't, um is christian was uh, i met christian 2016 i think uh at a press conference i think post draft press conference in the uh uh in the the the, the second uh, the the club level lounge that they do some of those press conferences in as i think right 
Yeah, I think it was. It was the uh, the the draft right after they uh, they took Jamal Murray and and Wancho and Malik Beasley. It was uh, it was that one. Yeah, you were you were good. Eddie did just. I was just sitting there, and Christian just uh, says, "Hey, I'm nice to meet you." I'm Christian Clark. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you." And uh, and I that always stuck in my head because most writers don't introduce themselves, and <laughs> they just they just kind of nod and then walk away. And uh, this was like, I was like, okay, this guy's cool. And through that, and at the time, Christian was working at uh, Denver, right? And then that evolved into BSN and, and stuff like that. But he, he is literally one of my favorite people in the world. And, and Christian's a just, just a, I'm not to blow smoke up his ass here, but he's, he's like one of my favorite people. I just miss him daily. And I think that when you see the quality of writing that he has done, there's another layer to that. Um, he, before you left, Christian, you did a great article on David Thompson, and uh, which I, I really enjoyed. That was a fantastic article. And that was kind of your, your parting gift to Denver. <laughs> What's your uh, article on David Thompson, which I, you know, you know me, which I appreciated tremendously. Yeah, I think that was, um, you know, one of the most enjoyable things I've ever worked on. And, you know, I just remember like kind of showing up in 2016, uh, the Nuggets and Nick O'Hare were nice enough to let me in. I uh, definitely had no idea what I was doing and uh, probably looked like an idiot a lot of the time. But shout out to Tim Connolly for being a nice guy and, uh, <laughs> you know, and indulging me while I figured out like uh, kind of the right things to do. No, you did. I, in fact, uh, uh you were pretty much one of the better people to ask questions right from the, the start. Um, and when you were there, you were coming in right at the, the when things were starting to get better. Uh, Jabal is coming in, so it's not tremendous yet, but, you know, you got the talent there and um, it was good to see. Now, when did you end up leaving? Was it 2019? Yeah, I've been down here for... Oh, two, two full years now, uh, a little more than two years. Jeez, really? That doesn't seem that long. Um, and Christian, um, like I said, he left us with that David Thompson article. But um, you, uh, I, I read everything you do, and I still do. Uh, I have a, I, I subscribe to NOLA.com just to read your articles. So more than wow. I ever, more than I ever wanted to know about the Pelicans, probably at that <laughs> one time, but. <laughs> at the same time. true friend <laughs> a true friend it was kind of funny the when i did the david thompson thing i uh i learned that david thompson and alvin gentry who used to be the pelicans head coach are cousins so that was uh an interesting little connection That's right um yeah. yeah and so it was able just like getting here Alvin, you know talk about david every every once in a while um i mean r really i mean there it i wasn't there for it obviously but uh it doesn't sound like there's really anyone else like him. I, uh, I think I, I think that doing that kind of research and, and when I used to write, doing that kind of research is what actually motivated more than the actual writing part. I loved interacting with people and getting to know these people and 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 getting talking to people I never would have otherwise. And I think that was one of the things when I would do my big articles, that's what I would, I liked more than anything else. And then the writing part is the part that just, I just couldn't get behind. And one of the reasons I stopped writing, but do you still like the process of, of writing? Is it, is it something that, because you did this big article, which we will get to in a second, was the process of, of researching it as, as 
as good uh, an experience for you as actually writing the article? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, like for me, I don't know, the, the writing is like more comfortable than like the reporting. Like I've tried uh, to learn how to be a better reporter, especially since I got this job. Um, and I would say I've gotten a little bit better, but I don't, I don't think I have like the, uh, like the natural reporting instincts that like, you know, like uh, Mike Sayer or like, you know, my guy Harrison or, uh, so that's definitely been something I've, I've kind of had to, to learn and work on. And like, I think there is like an art to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm definitely more comfortable on the writing side, mm -hmm. um, but you need to do both, obviously, to <laughs> try to try to do something uh, in like this weird NBA media sphere. I think in some way you have to have a natural charm as as someone who's going to to be having to put yourself in a position to be uncomfortable, you know. And I, when I got into it, I never intended on being uh, anyone who wrote about anything. I, I just, I, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to be uh, just a guy who kind of imparted whatever I had in my head to people. Right. That's it. That was my goal. And that, but I was late. I was 32 when I started doing this. And I think that I, a lot of my priors were baked in, but I was interested in just telling the story of the Denver Nuggets and the writing was an annoyance to me, but it's interesting to hear the other side of it, where the writing part is more comfortable. Have you have you been able to step outside of your? I mean, like I said in the article, we're going to be talking about here soon. Uh, have you been able to get better at stepping outside yourself and understanding that it's going to get uncomfortable? And but I need to do this for the benefit of the story I want to tell. Uh, yeah, most definitely. I, I think I have become more comfortable with it. And, you know, I think, uh, I, I think part of it is like, like the Pelicans had really high expectations after they got Zion. Like, I think they did, they sold 12,000 season tickets, like in the weeks after they drafted him, you know, there's kind of this wave of optimism and, you know, so far just things haven't really gone as planned. I mean, it's not, it's just not fun. I don't know. It's to some people maybe maybe it is fun but like for me it's not like the most fun thing in the world to like really examine well hey what's gone wrong and and talk about like it hasn't been a dumpster fire but it's been the first two years just did not go well at all um and 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 like really examine and talk to a lot of different people uh, about that i mean like you know a truth like that is i think just uncomfortable for a lot of people and understandably so well, before we get into specifics, um, you have uh, had the benefit of covering two different teams that were supposedly uh, on the same ascendancy. Uh, they, they were both getting to the point where they're starting to ramp up and get to that point where their expectations are going to be happening. You left after the Nuggets uh, went to the playoffs and for the first time in years. And now you're covering a Pelicans team with Zion Williamson and uh, Brandon Ingram and had expectations basically from the moment that you got there. Um, what has the contrast been between what you saw with what the Nuggets were, were going through about 2016 to 19 and what you've experienced the last two years? Yeah, I mean, a lot. Uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, kind of the, the, 
the stars or the star that the Nuggets revolve around and, and the star that the Pelicans revolve around, they're very different in like, not only like stylistically, like Jokic is like probably has like the lowest vertical of any superstar in the league. Zion <laughs> is like, you know, maybe like the biggest freak athlete we've ever seen in NBA history. But For like sure. even, even just like how they got here and a lot of the stuff around them, like Jokic, I don't know. It's just different because like nobody ever expected you know, like Jokic to even do anything in the NBA. And like even Jokic didn't expect himself to, to do this in the NBA. Like it seems like right. early on, like it seemed like it was a surprise to even him that, you know, he's like a top five, top seven player in the NBA or whatever. Um, you know, like Zion, complete opposite thing. Like he's been, you know, very, very famous since he was 16 years old. Like he had one of the greatest, Know, college seasons of all time and there's just a lot of extra stuff that comes with that like his rookie year they, they they put the pelicans you know second who play in the second smallest media market in the nba on national television like i don't know 35 times i would double yeah. check that yeah they were they were just immediately under this white hot you know spotlight and i think that's difficult like it's that that made it really really tough like didn't even you know get a whole lot of time to just like um come together and develop before you know they were playing on like ESPN every other night and and there was a lot of national media here asking questions and they've had to deal with the pandemic while trying to build a team too I mean I think you know the Nuggets they got a, a lot of runway before that thing happened and there are, mm -hmm. there's a lot of basketball moves that the Pelicans have just gotten wrong too I mean I don't right. want to like make all these excuses for them but yeah, I mean, just the team's two superstars, it's just they, they really could be more different for uh, many reasons. This is, this is very true, and this goes to the essence of why there's tension, I guess, in uh, New Orleans over this situation. And I guess I'll, I'll uh, kind of round into your article, which I, uh, uh, Christian, I've read a lot of great reporting uh, recently, and that was one of the, one of my, favorite art. I read it like three times. Uh, and what I appreciated about it was you just seem to understand the pulse of where this team is coming off of Stan Van Gundy being fired, uh, the tension of the offseason. And before I get into the meat of the article, had you any idea before media day that Zion Williamson had surgery in the off season. Was that as big a surprise to you as it was to everyone else? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's a bit of a, an indictment is reported that I wasn't able to, to find that out. Um, from what I understand, I think there were a lot of people who didn't know about that one before we got to media day. Um, but yeah, to be perfectly honest, uh, no, I, I didn't know that he had this foot surgery this summer. I mean, that was, that was a shock to me. It, uh, the, the surprising thing is in this day and age where everyone knows everything, how they were able to keep that under wraps. I am stunned. That's not an indictment of you. That is a, how were they able to do that? And the tension between Zion Williams and, and whatever the Pelicans have been trying to do since he was drafted is palpable. When you were writing this story, did you get a sense that uh, was this tension there from the very beginning? Because the rumors have always been that Zion 
is was would have preferred to go to the Knicks. I mean, that's always been the rumors. And all this other crap that circul- circulates around thing where you don't know if it's true or not. But do you think that that kind of thing has uh, affected, based on your, your reporting, the Pelicans and the way they have approached the last two seasons? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when there, when there is like a report or reports that, hey, Zion, he wanted to go back to Duke, you know, maybe, maybe he would have rather been in, uh, with, with the Knicks. Maybe he would have rather been with the Hawks before he's even played a game. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's like the easiest thing in the world to deal with. Um, right. You know, having said that, um, I, I mean, I, I think like it, it it could have worked if, I mean, it's, it definitely still could work. Like this is not a lost cause by any means, but like if a couple of things had, had broke right that rookie year, I think this is an entirely different situation. Like from everything I can tell in the reporting, really the, the kind of key source of, of tension between Zion and the Pelicans. And, and we should say that, you know, at media day, like they really did put on a United front um, and, and say like, Hey, look, yeah, there are things we disagree on, but we're going to give it a go this year. But really, the, the biggest source of tension that you can pinpoint is his handling over the knee injury he suffered in the, the preseason of his rookie year. Um, if you go back to that time, um, he looked fantastic in, in the preseason of his rookie year. Like he was crushing people. Like they had Drew Holiday, they had Lonzo Ball. Like it kind of looked like, hey, the Pelicans are going to be this big, athletic, fast team that people really believe could be a playoff team. Um, you know, and Zion hurts his knee and the team puts a, a timetable on it of six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes more than three months for Zion to get back on the floor. Um, and I think he was just very, very frustrated by not being able to play. Like he, right. he wanted to get back out there. You know, when he did get back, he was placed on these, what they called burst limits where <laughs> you'd ask, well, is he on a minutes limit? And they're like, no, nah, he's on a, he's on a burst limit. Um, <laughs> and you know, kind of, kind of one of the key memories in my mind is his debut game against the Spurs. Mm. You know, he scores seven straight points in the fourth quarter. Like he hits four threes in that game. You know, as long as he plays, he might not ever hit four threes in a game again. Like it was just this incredible, like, oh my God, something is happening experience. And they don't let him play down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say the the frustration really kind of goes back there over handling of that knee injury and, and the old cautious way he was brought back. The interesting thing about this is that I, 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 just to draw a correlation between what's going on with the Denver Broncos and this is that when you have an, uh, a weird setup, I mean, uh, with ownership, I know I think Gail Benson recently set up their plan of succession. Um, and, but, you know, they also own the the Saints. And there is a, like, when just as it, from the Denver side, even with the Cronkies, there is a, a tension between what gets more attention, what is more um, focused on from the top down. And you would think with David Griffin, who ran the Cavs when LeBron was winning his titles, um, his title there, that there was there would be kind of more less of there would be more level of base stability and it seems like griffin and you can speak to this and i don't want to put words in your mouth but it seemed like griffin struggled to 
connect, I guess, with his superstar, which I think is the most important thing. Uh, and that struggle right there is kind of a, another basis of a lot of the some of the underlying tension. Yeah, I mean, like going back to Cleveland, um, I think LeBron and Griff, while they're both there, they had, I think they had a really good relationship. I think after Griff, you know, decided not to come back, like I think LeBron even tweeted like, what are we doing or, or something along those lines. Now, I don't think that was like the most fun working arrangement for David Griffin. I think he was like under a lot of pressure to win right away uh, uh, for I think reasons we all understand. And I think LeBron obviously has a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, look, it's, it's fair to say in, at least in the first two years, um, maybe the relationship is a little different now. Maybe they, it's like they kind of got in a room and hashed things out before media day, but in the first few years, there definitely I think, was some tension between Zion and his camp and, and David Griffin. And I think there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, I think a lot of people believe that if the Pelicans just won some games, everything would be fine. And I think I'm one of those people who believes that too. Like, you know, the first year was, uh, it was, it was a little, it was very, very messy. Um, you know, pandemic played a part of that. Like yeah. it was clear that it was clear that, you know, David Griffin did not want Alvin Gentry to be the head coach. You know, Alvin, I think had a pretty good relationship with uh, his camp. Um, make of that what you will yeah. um and and look you know you, you hire this guy it's kind of on you to get the head coaching hire right um you know david Griffin, you know, he went out and hired stan van gundy um i think there's some other people in the front office who you know thought that that wasn't the right and they were right it wasn't the right fit they had to fire stan van gundy eight months later so i think this all probably could have been made right by just you know getting the right head coaching hire making some personnel moves that make sense like get some shooting around this guy who's like the most dominant at the rim scorer since like Shaq, like maybe honest or one and two. Uh, but the, the problems were definitely exacerbated by having like a disastrous off season, you know, a year ago. You know, it's funny. Um, I keep coming back to this uh, quote from Shaquille O'Neal about Stan Van Gundy uh, shortly before or after he was fired by the Miami Heat midway through the 05-06 season. And it was, Stan Van Gundy was the master of panic. And that has always struck with, stuck with me. And a lot of the decisions that were made last year were kind of nonsensical with the, uh, with the Pelicans. Um, there was a lot of things that they should have been doing that they didn't do until later in the season when it didn't matter and it, and it changing some of the defense, changing some of the way they approached the offense. And I get why they went the direction they did. It's just a big investment to make, to, to hire a coach for what was it? Four years, uh, a contract and then fire him after one year. I mean, that is, that's, that's, that's a lot of money committed to, to, I don't know if they're still paying Alvin Gentry. I think they're probably done paying him, but the, and the, and the Willie green, you know, it's, it's, you got multiple coaches being, you know, paid for now. That has to be, there has to be some serious disconnect if they're firing a coach after one, one year into his contract. Yeah, I think, I think serious disconnect <laughs> is fair. <laughs> yeah, I think that is fair. I, I will say like, man, if you just look at like the resume, the track record, I think Stan Van Gundy is like a good basketball coach. Um, 
you know, I think he did, he did deal with some difficult circumstances because he didn't even really have a training camp. Like he wasn't even really able to practice, but I think when you just like step back and look at the big picture, I think it's just fair to say he was just not the right coach for a young team during the pandemic season. Like I think as a head coach, you know, one of the most important things you got to know is like when to push and when to pull and, or, you know, when, when the pull team and kind of when to let up and like, let them relax a little bit. And I think last year it was just push and push and push and push. And like these young dudes, you know, are playing this compressed schedule, like every other night, a lot of back to backs. Um, They're like only hanging out in their hotel rooms on the road because they can't do anything because of the pandemic. Like last year was just not very fun. And I think, yeah, Stan, I think maybe could have showed like a little more uh, emotional intelligence with that. Yeah. Um, and, and then you can, you know, like some of the basketball stuff too, I think you can definitely take issue with like, you know, they, they, they played this like way too aggressive defense for most of the season and like gave up a bajillion threes. Um, you know, they, the Pelicans don't have like a, they didn't have a lot of great defenders. So I think that certainly made it hard. And then the other one was, you know, Stan just kind of, uh, he stuck with Eric Bledsoe when he was just having a really bad year and, and like looked disengaged a lot of the time. And, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, a guy, the, the Pelicans took 17th in 2019. Yeah. I think a lot of people felt like, well, Hey, this guy can, can help us win more than Eric Bledsoe right now. Like just why isn't he playing more? Um, so I think those are two of the big ones. You know, it's, it's interesting to, to look back on that sort of thing because there's, there's always a pivot point. And, you know, I found it interesting that the, the only aspect of the story that was disputed at Media Day was the piano one, the piano part. I, 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 I'm watching this, this stuff and I'm like, why is that the only thing? Everything else in the story they didn't comment on, but the piano part was egregious and we're going to be uh, so kind of tell me about that a little the 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 david griffin zion williamson piano thing and their obvious subsequent uh media day discussion about it i mean yeah look so we gave uh david griffin and and, you know the representative of zion like reached out to them gave them a chance to comment on the record david griffin declined we didn't hear anything back from from zion's camp um so look, these people, like both parties had a chance to talk about this on the record if they wanted to, um, you know, they didn't. And I think going into media day, like I was of course expecting, like, I didn't think they were going to get up there and just say like everything in this article is correct. It's been a disaster the first two years. You know, I mean, I figured there's going to be kind of some sort of response and, you know, like whatever you think about David Griffin, like he is like a legitimate genius about controlling the narrative and, and PR. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think like what they did was smart and effective and like encouraging. Like they presented a unified front, which is exactly what you have to do in that situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Griff said the uh, the piano thing was ridiculous. Zion mentioned that uh, you know he would never let a grown man come into his room and play the piano. He did mention there might have been a keyboard involved in the bubble, uh, <laughs> but hey, I, uh, I'm gonna leave the piano keyboard alone. Uh, they said what they said. They said their piece. You know, I, I said what I said in the article, and uh, it's kind of just like, okay, like, let's see how you guys do this season. Well, I think that it's just a good, that's a testament to good writing and the fact that you were able to, to get that. And, and look, as you pointed out, if you give them a chance to comment on it and they, they decline, like, 
they have, I mean, particularly Griffin, you have a chance. He's a GM. You have a chance to, you know, get the, the stop the ball rolling before it gets going down the hill. And uh, obviously they chose not to do that, um, which as any good writer you're supposed to do. And I, I love the fact that you were able to, to just say, look, this is what the, this thing is. Do you want to comment on it? But more than that, though, it's kind of like, and I kind of, I guess one of my bigger questions about this whole thing is that, is there a feeling that Zion is just one of these few people in the league who has the power to just sign the qualifying offer, play on it, and leave? Do you think, is, it, is there any thought within the Pelicans that this is a legitimate point that is going it's going to get to or is there still this is ridiculous like most people i've 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 seen talk about this say like no there's no way anyone's gonna uh, pass up that money look at what ben simmons happening with ben simmons right now you know you can just you know agitate your way out of it you just need to secure the bag first so is there a, a, what is your feeling on that situation yeah i mean i think there is um you know, fear in the back of people's minds that 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 is potentially an option. Um, you know, signing the qualifying offer. I, mean, I think most of the people would tell you, like, there's just no way he's going to turn down the money. Um, and as you pointed out, like, these guys have the option to do the Ben Simmons thing, which is, uh, you know, frankly, like, kind of shitty to the teams. Like, that just stinks. Mm-hmm. If you just take the big old bag and then ask out with a couple years left on the contract. Um, you know, if I had to like guess one way or the other, uh, I would probably guess right now that he does sign, does he, he does take the money um, just because like, I mean, you can do the Ben Simmons thing. I mean, I think that's just the smart, prudent thing to do, even if that's, <laughs> that stinks for the organization you're with. Um, but I, I mean, I, I do, I really do believe that like Zion, I think Zion really cares about winning. Like I think it really ate him up to see, a lot of his peers in the playoffs last year, like RJ Barrett, Trey Young, like get that taste of playoff experience. Well, you know, Pelicans, they couldn't even finish it. The top 10 teams in the Western to make the playoff tournament. Like I think that uh, pissed him off more than anything. So I, I really do believe that like the Pelicans just turn this around a little bit, like things could look way different. It's kind of, it's kind of like, like the hardest part is just getting the ball rolling, you know, and then a lot of things look a lot different, but they just haven't, they haven't gotten the ball rolling at all yet. You know, the, the, in relation to the Ben Simmons thing, uh, I do know, speaking to a lot of different sources in the league, that there is definite anxiety about this setting a precedent. And they are really, really, really worried that this will open the floodgates. And I think more than anything else, that's, that's, that's their concern. The precedent, more than, more than the state of the Sixers. The precedent it would set is is to them cancers, and I think this kind of opened up a different avenue for Zion if he is deeply unhappy. Which I don't want this to all, all be negative. There's good things to talk about with the Pelicans, and uh, I think there's uh, a direction that they could go in um, that is uh, on an upward trajectory if Zion's able to be healthy and all that stuff. But just knowing, just knowing that this is floating out there and a possibility, that I, that I do know for a fact, based on who I've talked to, that has created a lot of anxiety in the league, and um, uh, it's going to be a wait and see at this point. 
Yeah, man. It's uh, <laughs> the Ben Simmons thing. Oh, man. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I, I mean, part of me, I guess, is happy that the Dame and the Blazers were, you know, at least able to, like, try to make things work again because that's that was another one that also could have just, like, you know, oh, yeah. I think set a precedent that, that would have been uh, very, very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, like, it's just tough. Like one or two, like one guy in the NBA affects winning so much. It's just, it's what makes it a unique sport. I mean, mm-hmm. and it, it, I mean, when you get one of those guys early on, it's like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. Like we have like Zion, I think clearly has shown that if he would, you know, get really, really serious about conditioning and dieting and like do the things he needs to do to get to the next level. Like I think, Already, we can I, I can confidently say like, yeah, he could be the best player in a championship team, and there just aren't very many of those guys. But like, this is kind of the downside. Like, when things aren't going well, there's like all this noise and these whispers about like, oh, maybe he's not long for this market. Maybe he's not long for this market. We've seen, I think, a lot of other guys, like Devin Booker. There was a lot of that kind of chatter, and then they traded for Paul, and it was different. So it just takes, you know one of those moves um, and, and, and things can change, but yeah, it's, it stinks. I, especially for the people who work for these teams that have to deal with that chatter. Oh yeah. Um, and well, as someone who covered the nuggets when the Carmelo Anthony thing was coming down and uh, it was exhausting to have to, to deal with it. And this was back in 2010. So the media landscape has changed considerably since 2010 and I can't imagine now what it's like to just deal with this thing. It's, it's got to be so distracting. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't want that. And, and I, I, I feel bad for the Pelicans because I kind of want to just talk about the, the way they will uh, kind of form this year. Because do you think the Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, kind of duality is something that is sustainable for this team um is do you think that they can build on an upward trajectory this year um rather than what it's been the last two years since the anthony davis trade um i mean like i you know my really my only question about zion is like you know hey are you going to get yourself into killer shape because like I'm just such a believer in his talent and like right. such a believer in his competitiveness and smarts, you know, when the lights turn on, um, I mean, like 20 years old, like almost no shooting from last season, the guy has 27 a game on 60%, 62% shooting. It's like, this is just absurd. Like, you know, one of the most half efficient half court scores in the NBA. And like, it was just objectively a very fitting roster around him. So, I mean, I don't really have any questions about, the talent level there. I mean, I've kind of have some question marks, but like, are you going to do the stuff you need to do before the lights turn on? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ingram, um, I, you know, I think that's kind of to be decided. Um, and I think he's proven that, you know, he's a really gifted scorer under Alvin Gentry and Stan Van Gundy, who, you know, really could not be more different head coaches. Right. Uh, he averaged <laughs> 24 game under, under both of them. Um, you know, I think he's, like obviously going to get buckets, you know, for a long time in this league. I mean, I think, you know, the question marks about him, like, can you speed up your decision-making and, you know, not be so ball stoppy, like keep it hopping around, which I think Willie Green is emphasizing. And and the big one is 
hey, are you going to play any defense? Like, we're going into year six. Like, yeah, you've dealt with a lot of dysfunction, but, like, you've never been on a playoff team. Like, are you really going to, you know, dig in on defense? And I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't know one way or the other. Like, he's huge. He, he got a lot bigger this offseason. Um, and I think maybe the potential is there. But uh, I don't know. Um, and it's just tough, too, because that roster around them, it was just – so bad and ill-fitting. I mean, I think this year there are definitely, you know, better pieces around them. Um, you know, Trey Murphy guy, the rookie they just got, I think he's going to be a good shooter. Devontae Graham, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's he definitely has some deficiencies in his game, but like Duke can definitely shoot the ball and has deep, deep range. And you know, Valanciunas, I don't think maybe is quite the defender Stephen Adam is, but I think he is, you know, definitely a better offensive player. Um, so. I'm really curious to see what this looks like when, when Zion, you know, gets healthy and, and uh, gets in fighting. Well, you Valanciunas is certainly, I think, a superior offensive player to um, Steven Adams. And I guess the trade-off is they want to maximize more of a offensive approach um, than what it was last year. And, do you, how do you see that fit? Because uh, you kind of touched on it there, but how do you see the fit with yeah, Valanciunas there? Is he, are they going to have him standing outside the paint? Are they going to be have him doing what they have, you know, Embiid doing right now with kind of just hovering around the three-point line, giving giving uh, Zion more space? Uh, did you get an idea how, how, how uh, given an idea of how they're going to approach that uh, dynamic between the two of them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I don't think they've even like played together yet. Um, wow. You know, cause Zion has been, you know, he's been sidelined and, That's and right. he's uh, been out. Yeah. yeah. Jonas kind of, he heard his thumb in practice the other day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's like a seamless fit. I mean, both guys, like the majority of their offense comes, you know, right around the basket. Like I think the Pelicans will be a great rebounding team again, but it's not seamless. I mean, Steven Adams was just, uh, a non-shooter. I mean, I think actually his, uh, the only three point make of his career against the Pelicans was like the 60 foot one handed bomb or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he shoots it a little bit. Um, and I think he got up like one a game last year. Like he can knock it down sometimes, but to this point, he's not been like this, you know, obviously a high volume three point shooter. Like he's kind of a, a reluctant three point shooter who can hit him every once in a while. So I mean, I think the fit between him and Zion is better than it was between Zion and Steven Adams. But yeah, it's not like especially clean or anything like that. I've always felt that the, the I mean, okay. And you're going to, uh, you won't be able to see this because this is an audio podcast, but uh, I bet you uh, Christian's going to roll his eyes when I say this. Uh, I've always <laughs> felt, I've always felt that they need to, uh, with Zion, they need to, uh, emulate the 93 phoenix suns <laughs> with, yeah with Barkley. in what way in what way uh because what they had with barkley and kevin johnson and uh oh, even danny ainge coming off the bench dan marley uh cedric sabalos and uh, mark west was they basically it was an early version of five out and with barkley in the middle Basically, so it's his five out, Barkley could come in, but Barkley shot a ton of threes that year. That was his MVP season. And I, to me, and I, I can't believe I'm the only one who says this. I see a similarity between uh, Zion Williamson and 
uh, Charles Barkley. And it's not just the weight. I just, it's, it's the way they play to me is extremely similar. And the 93 Suns were basically all spacing and a lot of run and gun. And I think that could help uh, uh, Zion out tremendously rather than trying to get them into rigid sets. I think they need to be a little more freeform and let him create a bit more because he's, he's got skill, man. He's got skill. And I, I just, sometimes I see these games and I'm like, the skill is just kind of being hampered by sets and rigidity. And I think he needs a little more creativity and freeform is basically what I'm saying. Well, it was kind of interesting last year. Um, you know, Stan Van Gundy is not going to get a, a whole lot of credit around these parts and uh, probably deservedly so. But I will say that, you know, he did kind of unlock something when they basically put the ball in Zion's hands and, and let him be a little bit more of a creator. Like for a two-month stretch there, they had the number one offense in the NBA and it, and it fell back down to earth. Um, but, you know, they had the number one offense in the NBA largely by putting the ball in Zion's hands and, and, and letting him create. Um, and, you know, I think this year there is an emphasis on, you know, a little more like uh, free-flowing basketball and a little less rigidity. I mean, I, I don't know that they want to give – they don't want to make Zion the full-time point guard. I mean, I think they still want to continue, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's definitely an emphasis on, like, you know, Willie Green talks about .5 basketball, like, hey, pass, shoot, or dribble within half a second of getting the ball – um, and, and a lot of emphasis on, hey, get it into the paint and kick it out. Like, those are the types of shots we want to generate, you know, drive and kick, um, which, you know, I, I, think, I think the Pelicans have a potential to be a very, very fun offensive team this year. Like, last year, they were 11th with a pretty flawed roster offensively. I think it's a little bit better this year. Like, I think there's, you know, definitely a world where they're a top 10 offense this year. Well, it'd be interesting to see how they adjust to this. So, uh, to um, you know, I, I'm going to go drift onto another subject before before I get you out of here. But I, the last question about the Pelicans is, what do you kind of think? What do you what is your vision for them? Obvious uh, this year. Obviously, it's going to depend on Zion and his health, and um, you know, obviously everything coming together. But if all things are equal and everything uh, everyone's healthy, where do you see this Pelicans team this year? Um, I think the safe bet is probably a, a play-in tournament team. Um, I mean, I, I think it's like a massive disappointment if they're not a play of turn, play-in tournament team this year. Um, I mean, I think there's even a world where they are just a straight playoff team, like they go get the sixth or something like that, just because mainly I think Zion is like that good if, if, if he's healthy um, and right. Um, but yeah, probably, probably a play-in tournament team. And, I, there's still there's still so much that's just unknown about this team. Like they've got so many different lineup options. I think they're toying with the idea of like going really really big. Like for example, this is just hypothetical, but they could throw out a starting five of like Nikhil Alexander Walker, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas, and just be like this big huge group. Mm -hmm. um, but you know they also could be more traditional and just go like Devonte Graham. Um, you know like. Najee Marshall and Nikhil Alexander Walker and and then the three guys in the front court. So there's still, there's still so much we don't know. And it's just tough because like, it's hard to, to like get at those answers without Zion, you know, you kind of just got to see what it looks like with him in there. And he just hasn't really been in there so far. 
Well, I, it's going to be interesting to watch because uh, obviously, um, I, undoubtedly, the Pelicans will be on national TV a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot. They actually kind of they actually dipped a little bit this Did year. They? Yeah, okay. the, the NBA finally was like, okay, like maybe maybe we shouldn't put them on national TV thirty five games. That was a that was a big complaint out here uh, in, in Denver. <laughs> so much Pelicans on the TV. Um, Okay, so well, the last subjects before we uh, I get you out of here, and thank you, sir, for coming on. Um, all right, so you uh, watched the Sopranos prequel. What did you think? <laughs> I was hoping you're going to ask me about this. Um, <laughs> oh man, uh, I thought it was okay. Uh, it, it felt like a lot of it felt unsopranosy to me. Like yeah. the Sopranos is like a lot of it's about ambiguity and like open-endedness and we're just not going to answer these questions and like the voiceover kind of felt like this was forced the ending i won't spoil it i thought was like awful it's like what are we doing here um <laughs> i enjoyed some parts of it um i thought the soundtrack was killer oh yeah and i don't know man i mean like my my impression of like richie april from just watching the show was like this guy's like a badass among badasses and like not someone you should emulate but like even among the craziest people like this dude's the craziest and yeah. like i thought you know i thought like yeah he was uh i guess scary and you wouldn't want to like mess with him but like i don't know he wasn't he wasn't like terrifying like the way they portrayed richie was a little bit different than what i thought you know he was like in the show if that makes yeah. sense no I, I get that and they kind of portrayed him like um um uh, the guy from Train Spotting, the crazy guy. Um, that that the just I it was like, that's not a trajectory I thought it would go in. But at the same time, I get it. You know, sometimes these Netflix uh, programs get the spirit semi okay, but miss the point. And I kind of, I kind of saw that with this. Um, it was okay. And that sometimes that's yeah. the worst thing you could say about about something is that it's just okay. But well, you were right. is just like it's just such a perfect show. It's like anything right. you try to do now, it's just like it's not going to measure up. It's like literally just a perfect show. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, anything you do would probably be disappointing in a lot of people's eyes. I still enjoyed it, you know, still had fun. Perfect show with a terrible ending, like Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're anti fade to black, then, huh? <laughs> I just, I, I, actually, I'm not anti it. It's just, you know, I, I kind of like anti-climaxes. Uh, I love like 70s, uh, early 70s new Hollywood films where either every ending was like extremely pessimistic or uh, uh, just didn't end in the, like a traditional way. I love those. So I, that, that part, it didn't bother me. It's just, it didn't, it didn't kind of, to me, it didn't fit with the rest of the show and it, it was strange, but I get the it from a creative point. And I compared it to Seinfeld, but nothing is as bad as the final episode of Seinfeld, um, <laughs> which, which I, I'm dating myself here, but I think that was that was not a good episode of television. <laughs> so, so, who knows? I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority there, but I, I what have you? What else have you been saying? Is there anything else that you have you a television show that you've been watching that you uh, would recommend? Oh man. Um... Not really. I mean, I've kind of been rewatching Sex in the City, which I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to tell people like you should watch Sex in the City. Like, if you want to, you can. 
But uh, yeah, <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw and her pals, man, they were having they were having fun. That's my take. <laughs> I like Mr. Big a lot too. He's pretty funny. Mr. Big, Chris Noth. Yeah. Um, I. It's interesting. I did not expect. I did not expect you watching Sex in the City. I don't know why. It's fine. From my point of view, it's fine. But I just was not. I was. I was not expecting that. That's funny. Um, was it because that guy died? Uh, the guy who played. Uh, um, oh, what the gay friend? Uh, oh my God! I completely forgot his name in the show. Anyway, it's going to cut. There's people. There's not people screaming at their podcast thing over Sex in the City. I can tell you right now. <laughs> um, I'll tell. Uh, what I can recommend. I don't know if you see. Do you have Epics? Do I have what? Epics. The uh, the app Epics on uh, no, the TV. I do uh, Epics has two TV shows that I'm actually absolutely obsessed with right now. It's uh, one of them's Pennyworth. Um, it's about. Uh, 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 Batman's Butler. Um, oh, okay. Prequel. It's really good. It's extremely good. It's actually based on, and I'm not a big comic book fan, but it's based on a series of graphic novels, and it's very good. Uh, I highly, highly recommend that one. Uh, if if you just want to be entertained in a in a kind of surreal way, it's really funny, fun. Um, and also, War of the Worlds. It's a kind of a TV show based on it with Gabriel Byrne. Um, and it is also a really unique show, a really cool twist on the, on the story. So if you ever like do the free trial of, uh, of epics, you should, you should check that out because it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I, I didn't I even know epics was a streaming service. So I definitely learned something in this podcast today. There's, there's a lot of streaming services, man. There's a lot of streaming services. It's like, it's like you, could, you could get Tubi and get all every crap movie that you've never watched. And I do mean crap, but it's like, it's, it's, a street, it's a free streaming service. So they just load up a bunch of cheap horror movies on it and all the, all the stuff that's like got re, like Razzies. And they put it on there. And it's actually, if you want to have some cheap fun, it's, it's actually pretty cool. I watched Suspiria on there. So it's, it's, if, if you're looking for Suspiria, and I don't know if anyone is, I doubt it. Not if you're listening to this podcast, but it's on. It's on TV. Um, have you seen any movies that you would recommend? Uh, I really like The Green Knight. Uh, <laughs> some of somewhat controversial take. There's like one movie theater I always go see movies here. It's called the Broad Theater. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw the 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 Green Knight. I haven't really been on my movie game because we've kind of like been dealing with a hurricane and some right. work stuff. But uh, yeah, man, Dev Patel, he's he's great. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know, it was, it was really fun to just see in a theater. Like it's like the visuals are kind of like, you know, hits blunt once. Like, this is great. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I thought that was okay. There has been a lot of movies I've seen recently that I, I'm really uh, like over the moon about. Um, before the last question, before I get you out of here, man, you lived in Denver, you live in New Orleans. How's life in New Orleans? I mean, you you're you're from Texas, went up to Denver, came back down to the South again. Um, life in New Orleans is was it a bit? I'm sure it wasn't a big adjustment for you, but uh, how was it compared to uh, life up here in the in the Old West? It's way different, man. <laughs> there are like uh, yeah, cities that are definitely. I mean, the 
they're so different in so many ways. Um, the one thing I like about both of them is that they're both pretty walkable. Yeah. Like that's part of city life that I like. Like when I lived in Denver, I, you know, generally tried to live in neighborhoods where I could walk to a bunch of stuff and I kind of got the same setup here. Um, so I like that part about it. Um, I mean, it's great, man. I mean, there's like the food is, I mean, obviously just insane. Like, you know, so much interesting stuff going on with that. It has been a little bit tough just cause, uh, you know, we've been in a pandemic and like our, our economy is very tourism based. So it's kind of just like without, you know, all the tourism dollars, like it, it makes life difficult for the people who are here. Cause you don't have those tax dollars. Like there was a while where our trash wasn't getting picked up. <laughs> oh we just dealt with a big old hurricane. Um, yeah. so a lot of, a lot of good, um, a lot of difficulty, but Hey man, I hope we're coming out of this a little bit. I hope so too. Uh, it's been so hard. And I, I, my goal is to get down to new Orleans when the, when the nuggets go down there. So I can, I can experience the city and, you know, we can, we can go have food because yeah. uh, uh, Christian posts some of the, his adventures with making food on, on Instagram. It's, it always makes me very hungry whenever you do that. <laughs> <laughs> the nuggets, the nuggets and Pelicans games are always pretty good at too. Like they're yeah. just fun games a lot of the time for whatever reason. They are fun. Uh, did the Pelicans win two of the three games last year? I think. Yeah, I think so. There was the the game in Denver where uh, Zion went up and I think either tried to tried to win the game or tie the game, and Jokic fouled them, and it didn't get called, oh, yeah. and it was it was this whole thing. And Denver fans <laughs> were like, "Well, Jokic never gets a good whistle anyway." And uh, anyway, <laughs> usually usually fun games for sure. Yes, they are. All right. Well, uh, Christian, uh, love you, man. I appreciate you coming on the podcast uh and i will have you on again uh we'll have the, uh, we'll do it at, a, at an hour where I, I do a segment on my other podcast i could have you on the other podcast actually where i just do nothing but pop culture and movies that's actually that that could be something that you would enjoy uh but i do a segment on there called what am i drinking so uh <laughs> probably red wine yes <laughs> exactly so uh anyway th thank you for joining me man i really appreciate it and uh i'll have you on again soon all right, buddy. Thanks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.